From Capital Public Radio in Sacramento, this is Insight and our first show of 2020. I'm Beth Ruyak. Are we beginning this year, this new decade, on the brink of a new war? In Tehran, you might have seen or heard the scenes. Reporters saying one million people or more are in the streets. They're wearing black, carrying signs and chanting. The procession and funeral continues for the Iranian military general Soleimani and the others who were killed in last week's drone strikes by the U.S. Let's start the hour with Ken Rudin, the political junkie. Ken joins us from the Washington, D.C. area. And it's always the first Monday of every month. It happens to be the first Monday in a new year. Hi, Ken. Hello, Beth. I was about to say Happy New Year. I'm not sure if it's a Happy New Year. Well, I think, what did we have, 36 hours or maybe 48 before the world changed? Now we have the escalating tension in Iran and Iraq, also the backdrop of these massive wildfires in Australia. So I think any sense of calm has disappeared, at least for many of us. What are you thinking as this week begins? Well, well, I'm not sure if I ever thought about the word calm because... (laughs) Going into the new year, we knew that there would be an impeachment trial, or we assume it's an impeachment trial, and an election. And if that was not enough to, uh, if that was not enough to upset everybody, because it's not going to be a, a fun year. The, the two parties are still at odds regarding impeachment. We know how devi- divisive uh, the election is going to be, especially if the Democrats ever come up with a nominee to face President Trump. So when you have the prospect of a widening war uh, emanating out of the Middle East, uh, it's going to be a very volatile year. Uh, so it's, maybe it's happy volatile year, not happy new year. Will you dip back into history a bit and talk about presidents who are in the situation of running for re-election and either intentionally or because of circumstances ending up in an international incident, to say the least? Well, there are many in history. I mean, you could go back to uh, 1952. Uh, you want to start back that far ago, uh, far when, when just shortly before the 1952 election, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower said, I will go to Korea uh, to, to stop the, the, the two-year-old conflict there. And that gave him a big boost in his uh, election, ultimate election against Adlai Stevenson. Uh, in 1964, not long before the uh, election, not that Linda Johnson was going to lose to Barry Goldwater, but there may have been a, a manipulated crisis, a crisis in the Gulf of Tonkin uh, that, if, if nothing else, Congress voted to, to authorize it. And we can get to that in, in a little bit about the role of Congress. In 1968, uh, five days before the election, Lyndon Johnson stopped the bombing over North Vietnam that basically helped Lyndon, uh, Hubert Humphrey, the Democratic candidate. And in 1972, I always think of... Um, uh, Henry Kissinger saying we have pieces at hand in Vietnam, even though it wasn't at hand. So, in other words, presidents, not even before elections, I mean, think of right as Bill Clinton is going through an impeachment in 1998, he bombs Iraq and he pushed off the debate in the House over impeachment by two days because of the bombing in Iraq. So, so whether it's impeachment or an election, foreign policy does have a way of influencing the results or at least attempting to influence the results. You used an interesting word, and that was manipulated. So we can talk a bit about that. But let's bring it more present day. When President Obama was in the midst of his reelection campaign, there was a man who posted a video 
about the decision um, pending or posed before President Obama regarding Iran. And this is this is ironic at this point in time. Why don't you give us a little more context? Because the man who posted the video was none other than Donald Trump. Well, ironic or ironic, whatever you want, the way you want to pr- pronounce it, that's the irony. If you, if you think of all the things that Donald Trump has said about uh, Barack Obama, that what a B- Barack Obama was about to do or going to do or planning to do, somehow the president, the current president, President Trump, has done the same thing. When, when, when Donald Trump is, is talking about that maybe uh, uh, Barack Obama is trying to manipulate the country into a war with Iran, of course, that never happened. And in fact, uh, uh, President Obama uh, signed this, this, this agreement on limiting nuclear um, proliferation with Iran. Of course, the President Trump has undermined that and gotten rid of that. But the fact is, is that all the threats of war that Donald Trump warned about when President Obama was in office seems to have come to, to the realization now, at least with the killing of Soleimani. There's a YouTube video that you posted on social media. We're going to listen to about a 30-second clip of it. This is back in 2011. And you're going to hear Donald Trump's voice. He uses the words, our president. So he's referencing right away President Obama at that point in time. Our president will start a war with Iran because he has absolutely no ability to negotiate. He's weak and he's ineffective. So the only way he figures that he's going to get reelected and as sure as you're sitting there is to start a war with Iran now. I'm more militant and more militaristic than the president. I believe in strength. But to start a war in order to get elected, and I believe that's going to happen, would be an outrage. It's almost unbelievable to hear those words, isn't it? It is. It almost, like if, if you didn't hear the voice, you would think we were making this up. But, but the, the, the president, if nothing else, uh, President Trump is unpredictable. And I mean, you could say that the critics say he's unstable and erratic and things like that. Certainly he's volatile. And while he was elected in 2016, promising to withdraw from the Middle East and limit U.S. Uh, involvement in, in these wars... Uh, it's very possible. But again, it's a possibility that the killing of Soleimani could lead to greater conflict. But who knows? I think we're wrong to predict anything. Remember when the U.S. moved its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and Israel, a lot of Democrats, a lot of critics of Trump said this is going to cause unrest in the Middle East. And that didn't happen. So we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Iran is so stunned by uh, Trump's unpredictability that they'll be, you know, they'll be uh, almost uh, uh, impotent uh, uh, in, in responding. Most people don't think that at all. At all. A lot of people are pointing to what the, the Ayatollah said and that they can, the America can expect more deaths, more casualties and more repercussions from this action. So I want to reiterate that that clip was Donald Trump in 2011 talking about then-President Barack Obama, who was campaigning for his second term. One difference here is that we're being told, Ken, that these drone attacks were in response to imminent danger. It's still been undefined. And I don't know at, at what point or in what way Congress can compel the full disclosure of what the situation was. That's a big question, and it's an important question because it's clear that President Trump has shown no desire to cooperate 
or consult with Congress at all. Whatever you think about George W. Bush's uh, incursion into Iraq, um, the fact is he went before Congress. Uh, Congress gave him the authorization uh, in, in both the House and Senate. That has, we, we'll see whether there's going to be a vote at all, but, but obviously Democrats are angry. Democrats are asking for what kind of imminent danger did Soleimani present? Now, the Republicans will say, rightfully so, that Soleimani was responsible for the death of hundreds of, of American soldiers, and that's why that needed to stop. But again, does, does, does killing Soleimani change the, 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 the crisis odds, and does it change the, the threat from Iran? And that's really very questionable. So the, there are two bills. You, you just spoke about this in general terms. There's a bill in the House and a bill in the Senate that would propose that congressional approval has to happen before we enter into any war at this point. But the bill eventually has to go to the president's desk. He would be unlikely to sign it, right? So is this legislation going to go anywhere? Well, first of all, you're already assuming that it passes the Senate. And right now, given the fact that the Senate has seemed to be in lockstep with the president, even though some Republicans are warily uh, responding to uh, the, the actions over the weekend. But the Republic, there's no evidence that the Republicans in the Senate are going to pass anything like that. So maybe if it, even if it does pass the House, which is expected, it may die in the Senate and there may be no, uh, no piece of legislation for the president to sign at all. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Ken Rudin, the political junkie. This is our first conversation of this new year. When we left the old year, Ken, we had House Speaker Nancy Pelosi holding the articles of impeachment. There's been this dance about witnesses and how a Senate trial might unfold. All of this is out of the immediate spotlight, especially today with the funeral happening in Tehran. But where where do we go from here on the trial? Well, first of all, even before we get that far, it's so fascinating to me, but predictable as well, to see Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, the, uh, the, the, the House Minority Leader from California, has said this as well, and a lot other Republicans have as, 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 uh, as well. And they say that, how do you remove a president from office when this president is busy removing terrorists from around the world? And that seems to be the Republican argument. But nothing has really changed regarding the uh, the impasse over what to do with uh, the the Senate trial about President Trump once impeachment has been finished f- finalized in the House. Nancy Pelosi has not sent over the articles of impeachment as is usually as customary because she's tried to get Mitch McConnell to agree on some kind of uh, admission of, of of witnesses or documents produce some documents from the White House. But as long as Donald Trump refuses to allow anybody from the administration to uh, testify, including his chief of staff, his secretary of state, his vice president, people like that, uh, then nothing's going to change. So, so the only thing that, that the Democrats could do regarding impeachment is to pull off, pick off some Republicans who may be in some jeopardy in, in 2020's elections. Maybe Susan Collins of Maine, maybe uh, a Cory Gardner of, uh, of Colorado, maybe Martha McSally of Arizona. Get them to demand uh, some kind of agreement by McConnell uh, if the trial is going to happen. But right now, the Republicans, for the most part, seem to be in lockstep with their majority leader. So what do you think, Ken? Do you think this action by the president was a response to an imminent threat? Do you think it is an effort to 
um, guarantee in some way his reelection. Do you think it was thrown out as a distraction from the impeachment process? What, what is those are legitimate questions, but I don't think it's possible for us to even answer it because you have to go into the mind of Donald Trump, and that is always a dangerous uh, suggestion or, or, or situation to get yourself involved in. We've been talking about distractions for the longest time. Just like when Bill Clinton bombed Iraq uh, right before the impeachment, people said, you know, in 1998, people said that was a distraction. As far as the election, look, the election is still 11, 10 months away, and uh, things are going to change in the interim. We still don't even have a Democratic nominee yet. Um, but it's just it's just part of his unpredictability and whether it, it leads to, you know, a rally around the president uh, effort, as we've seen with previous foreign policy debacles, seeming debacles, or it turns more and more people against him. It's just too soon to say, but whether it's about impeachment or his election, it just could be the fact that he can, he's a very impulsive president and he was angry about the killing of an American contractor in Iraq and he decided... To, to do what Obama and George W. Bush would not do, take out General Soleimani. Hmm. So let's spend a few minutes here at the end on the Democrats and their reaction. Um, it's been a mix of acknowledging the role and the kind of person that General Soleimani was and the the characterizations of the action that Trump took This is going to be the main topic now on the campaign trail, superseding everything else. Um, Tom Steyer is the last Californian standing in in the midst of this um, race and also one of the battle of the billionaires. So what's the race look like? Well, that you know, something not much has really changed nationally. Joe Biden still has a lead. Uh, Bernie Sanders still has raised more money than anybody else in the last quarter. He raised thirty-four point five million dollars. That is ten more million dollars than the runner-up, Pete Buttigieg. Hmm. Right now, only five Democrats have qualified uh, for the January uh, uh, debate. Uh, which is next Tuesday, uh, Biden, Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Pete Buttigieg, and Amy Klobuchar, who don't count her out yet in Iowa, even though she's not in the top three or four. But right now, Joe, ba- you know, Pete Buttigieg has the lead in Iowa. Elizabeth Warren, who, by the way, was endorsed today by Julian Castro. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has the lead in New Hampshire. And then Joe Biden has the lead in Nevada and South Carolina. So it could be a very muddled Democratic field, at least going up to Super Tuesday when California and all those other states vote on March 3rd. And while that's happening, for example, on the, uh, you know, the, the next debate is scheduled for the, I guess, what was it scheduled for? The um, January 14th, 14th. debate. Right. Uh, but that may be put off because of possible impeachment trial. So we don't know. While the Democrats are still in flux, uh, uh, President Trump is going around having his rallies. He's having a rally on the 14th in Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, one of the key states for 2020. While the Democrats are eating their own or at least trying to come up with a nominee, President Trump is raising money and raising the temperature with his with his rallies. And the Democrats still have a long way to go before they unite behind a candidate. So Julian Castro did drop out of the race, just to clarify that point. We've got, as you said, this January debate. There's another debate just before the Iowa caucuses on February 3rd. And the qualifications on the debates keep getting tighter. So the field could narrow even more. 
Well, that's true. I think that's one of the reasons Julian Castro got out. I mean, first of all, he was widely criticized for almost mocking Joe Biden's age and memory in one of an earlier debate, and he never seemed to recover from that. But when you think of the, the Democratic field and all the diversity there with Kamala Harris uh, and, uh, and uh, Cory Booker and Julian Castro, now Cory Booker is still in the race, but he's not part of the January, the, the January debate. It seems it, it's, it's at least it's five people and all, all white people if, if, if Andrew Yang uh, doesn't make it into the debate. So far, he's not uh, qualified for the debate. Um, and so, so it's not turning out the way we expected, but nothing is turning out the way we expected. And, and I think any kind of predictions is, 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 is a fool's errand because there's so much days and so many events yet to come. All right. I know that this is the kind of year that you live for. Can I just for. say one thing? I know you want to look quick, but quickly, at this time in 2012, the Republican leader in the polls for the nomination was Newt Gingrich. Wow. In 2008, the Republican leader was Rudy Giuliani. So even as late as January, front runners don't necessarily mean the ball game. Hmm. Sorry. No, I'm glad you added that because it's a reminder of history that we sometimes gloss over when we're so caught up in the moment. And um, I was just saying this is the kind of year that you live for. And right now, with so much happening in the world, I think people are perhaps more engaged and more attentive than they might have been in January. So I look forward to many conversations with you this year, Ken. Happy New Year. Happy is a relative word there, but happy New Year. If you listen to the Golden Globes yesterday, everybody said, you've got to vote. And that's the answer. You've got to vote. Yeah. All right, Ken, you take care. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Beth. Ken Rudin is the political junkie. He joins us on the first Monday of every month. Up next, you're going to hear an echo of that make sure you vote from our Capitol Bureau Chief Ben Adler. But he's transitioning in his work, too. So stay with us. You're listening to Insight on Cap Radio. (laughs) 